Welcome to the Commercial Disco, a voyage of commercial discovery. This episode is proudly brought to you by CSIRO, Australia's national science agency and innovation catalyst. Explore the commercialization of great ideas across deep tech and science. Immerse yourself in conversations with the ambitious minds shaping Australia's unique innovation landscape. Discover their insights into what's needed to bring these remarkable ideas to life. Hello everyone, welcome to the Commercial Disco. I'm James Riley, Editorial Director at InnovationOz.com. Today I'm speaking to Professor Peter Rostdeutscher, the Chief Executive Officer at Quantum TX. G'day Peter. How are you James? Very well. Okay, you're a man who wears many hats it seems, but Quantum TX, it's an interesting organisation that brings together ideas and technologies and pulls tech from one sector and tries to plug it into a different sector. So just talk us through the structure of that. Thanks, James, and thanks for inviting me along. Wonderful to be here. So basically, we set up Quantum TX to fill a gap in the the market in Australia around commercialising and scaling technology. So at the time, I'd already ran some global technology businesses myself built a few startups in the mining technology area. And we were running accelerators and incubators to commercialize university research, program called Start Something, and then we were helping Mets Ignited with their mining innovation and technology programs. And what we noticed is that every time there's a a cycle change, mining goes up and down, the small businesses really struggled because their market would become very heavy and then become very slow. So they switched from not having enough staff to having not enough business. So as Australia started fleshing out its space industry, we came to the realisation that if we could take companies across multiple sectors looking at the same challenges, then it would balance out that economic opportunity. So that's how we started Quantum TX, really to focus on balancing the different industry life cycles and then looking at problems across industries. Okay, so you would take a mining technology and plug it into space or an energy tech, plug it into space, all of those, agri-tech, defence. So the focus on space, why? Space is a really interesting industry. People tend to think of the launch and the boots on moon, which are, um, are fantastic and they bring a lot of attention, but space is a massive sector and significant across all different technologies, all different industries. So for Australia to compete, we really needed to build that small business engagement all the way up through to the large primes. So we started off talking to the Australian Space Agency when it was getting going, uh, large tier ones and the Airbuses and Novas, and found out where the opportunities were. And then the biggest gap we found is the small businesses didn't understand the sector. So what we thought if we could jumpstart our industry by bringing established technologies from SMEs out of defence energy into space, we'd spin them both ways. So we could spin them into space, but then we could also take them out of the space industry and bring them into mining, defence, and you end up with this circular ecosystem where they're strengthening each other. Okay, so I can see some clear examples there. Remote automation, I guess, would be one. Quantum sensing, I guess, would be another. There's probably a whole range. Can you talk us through some of the companies and the technologies that they've brought with them that you've worked with? Yeah, it's quite interesting. Probably a few good examples is uh, Universal Field Robotics. So 
robotics business. We started working with them at least five years back. They came into our Queensland program and then into our national program. So they're now working on some exciting projects. They're part of the uh, Index Blast Dog, which is a robot that places explosives. But also included in that project are another company we've helped called Hindsight. So that basically robotics sensing and data visualization, but really looking at robotics in dangerous areas. Another company we've helped is, well, there's actually lots of them. I think about 220 companies have gone through the program so far. And if we look at companies like Agiliate, and so they're basically taking tele sensors, I guess you call it, for remote visualization and remote site help. And they've now pulled that into the health sector, innovative energy solutions. They built a automated cleaner for solar panels at mine sites, industrial tech that's now going into satellites so that they can have that power non-stop, even when the panels get dirty. So there's lots of synergies. Really what we look at is where is the problem the same? So they're all trying to keep people safe. They're all trying to put things in a stockpile, onto vehicles, control automated systems that are 2,000, 3,000 kilometres away, potentially underwater. So that's really where we look at where are the common problems, where's Earth observation benefit both industries. And that's where the traction comes. So I can do my site testing, you know, at a tier three mine site or an agri farm, and then I can move up through the larger industries into defence and then into space. It's quite extraordinary. So you've got a national footprint. I know you're based in Perth yourself, but you have a national footprint. So where are you finding these companies? We do a lot of collaboration. So we're big believers in collaboration. But through various groups that are running accelerators in regional areas, Robotics Australia group, organisations like that. So a lot of the companies we help are through WA, South Australia and Queensland. We do have some companies as well in New South Wales, Victoria, primarily in robotics and satellite tech areas. So there's a mix of people. We have people nationwide, depending on where the expertise is needed. So the mentors vary depending on what the companies need. But we also get a lot of corporate support. So a lot of the SMEs are brought to us by tier one players or primes saying, this is a great company. We'd like them to have more of this. And can you connect them through to here? So a lot of these connections, side trials, give them access to different venture capital. All right. And of the companies that go through the program, I guess it's probably a little bit hard to work out, but they're export focused from day one. Would that be fair to say? Or like how are they structured themselves? So our early programs six, seven years ago were very focused on start commercialising, taking things from mid-TRL out to industry. There's hundreds of programs for that now, but the real gap was what's the next stage? So it's a scale-up. So we tend to, Quantum TX focuses at the scale-up stage. So they've already got a product, they've got a customer, they've got a market. So the ones that we help, we usually have 100-plus applicants every year for 30 slots. And we focus on who has the potential to go cross-sector, but who also has strong potential to go international. So a high percentage of them are looking already to go international. And there's different pathways. I remember BAI5 went from our program into a global accelerator with Airbus. So there's different pathways depending on the type of tech and where they're focused. And it seems the mining sector has been a kind of happy hunting ground. So. When you talk about these large companies that have internal tech or they have a single supplier of a particular tech, how difficult is it or not to get them out of that 
large company relationship only and into a broader market? Yeah, we do it a lot with mining techs because it's one of Australia's biggest industries and that mesh sector is very involved. We do quite a bit with defence as well, but obviously it takes a lot longer getting grade to the defence sector and with oil and gas, mostly subsea. But if they're working with one or two companies in particular, they're very keen usually to expand. The challenge is they don't know the other sectors or they don't know how to go into state. They don't have the connections, the networks. So a lot of Quantum TX is connections, networks, raising their profile, getting them in touch with the right people so they can do that scaling phase. And, and it's exactly the same with international. You know, if you want to go international, how do you meet NASA? How do you navigate European Space Agency? That really takes contacts and networks, and, and that's where we tend to focus on taking their tech out. Okay, so looking at the Australian space sector now and looking at the Australian space sector when you set up Quantum TX, it's a different beast now, isn't it? But Chalk and cheese, yeah. Just describe to me the kind of progression. Well, I remember at the start, you know, Megan Clark uh, came from the mining industry, so we obviously had some connections in through there, but it was still finding its way. It was very focused, rightfully so, on making international connections, signing agreements with international tier ones and space agencies. And there was a lot of interest to build the small business sector and build the research connections, but those pathways weren't there. And so that's partly why we expanded Quantum TX into space and defence is because we had a lot of those companies already. They just didn't understand the sector. They didn't understand the opportunity. And so it was a natural for us to focus on that spin-in, spin-out, and really that's where the most progress came. You know, I remember back in our first cohort, we helped. Binar was one of the companies on the first cohort. Binar was a research project at Curtin University. And they designed and built Australia's first small satellites. So those sort of opportunities, they had the space connections. They just didn't have the mining connections to support the payload. And so each one has a different challenge. And it's really about understanding the business, making those introductions, and then pulling them out of where they are and saying, hey, there's a bigger world. That problem you're solving exists in another large sector. So running an SME tech company in Australia is not always easy. We know this. So what is it that government could do policy-wise that would make it a little bit easier? Where do you see the blockages now or do you think things are going okay? I think a bit like the space industry, I think the government policy at the moment is very strong and we do get a lot of support from state and federal government. There's always areas you can strengthen. But the way to grow an SME or a startup is that full ecosystem, so industry, government, research, startup, and funding. So I think you know, there's some areas in government I'd like to see a little more breadth, perhaps, in some of the national committees to get some different diversity of thought into some of those. Government as a customer, that's always a really hard one, but a really big one. And, you know, obviously funding programs. So we're very focused on increasing the diversity and the skills pipeline into the tech sector. You know, that's one of the biggest challenges right now. There aren't enough skill sets in the sector. So I think putting more focus into First Nations startup businesses, STEM programs, those are critical if we want to continue to grow the industry. Okay, talk to me about government as a customer. This is almost a universal frustration. Do you have any specific insights into how that might come about? It certainly seems to be a disconnect between the ambition of industry policy and then 
government procurement. They don't tie together particularly well. Yeah, it's not an easy one. You know, and it's similar in a large corporate. You can't expect a large corporate to bring in untested tech. So I think really the focus is to say, where can we trial tech? And maybe it's not on a major infrastructure program, but there's areas we can bring it in and let it prove itself and scale. So I've seen around the world successful programs where they've found challenges inside government and they've ran programs to find smaller suppliers. And then they've given them two, three-year contracts to build that through. So I think the, the key to it is finding the right challenges inside government where the risk profile and the quality processes match bringing in smaller companies and then giving them that opportunity rather than saying, hey, why can't they bid on this massive project? Um, so another thing I'd like to see is, is a government-led and facilitated program where we connect those SMEs to the Tier 1 suppliers. So if you're a large Tier 1 supplier in, in most industries, you need local content. So in those large government contracts, we could also say you need three SMEs involved in this project. All those sort of tactics, I think, to help the companies gain traction and build through government. All right, I'm talking to Professor Peter Rostdeutscher, the Chief Executive at Quantum TX. You talked about working with METS Ignited earlier. That's the Mining Industry Growth Centre, federal government program, which has kind of come to end of life. Funding came to an end under the new federal government. How do you see that getting replaced? There's a couple of schemes, Industry Growth Program and the National Reconstruction Fund, those kinds of things. But it doesn't appear to have something dedicated to the mining sector, which has been quite fruitful for you guys. How do you see these new, new programs working out? I think when they set them up, I was on the Mine board at the time, and they set up the five growth centres really to provide support around our five areas that the country wanted to grow rapidly. The Mets Ignited has been fantastic. They had a lot of impact on projects, on bringing companies through building connections and that cross-industry focus. So I think there is a need to continue something along that ilk, whether it's focused on one sector or whether it's really focused on a broader, how do we grow robotics in all industry or how do we build that capability into all industries? I think there's definitely a role there to play for some sort of growth center or some sort of body that provides those connections, provides those collaborations. Because as, as we all know, it's very hard for an SME to navigate. And that's really one of the key roles of those types of organisations is they create the pathways so that they can navigate their way through and fill those gaps as they get bigger and bigger. The goal is really how do we turn a five-person startup into a 50 and then into a 200? And I find groups like Mits Ignited are very strong when you're trying to go to that 20, 30 people into 100 people. And I need those bigger connections. I need those bigger pathways. So ideally, there'll be something to fill that role. There's not a lot of detail yet on the programs that are coming. And from what I've seen, they look great. But obviously, we need to see more information as they come out. All right. I want to talk about dual-use technologies. So, so much of what we've already been talking about would be considered dual-use, all the robotics, the satellites, all that stuff. So in terms of government as a customer, defense as a customer, defense in particular presents its own kind of challenges for SMEs. Just what's been your experience there? Defence is an interesting one. I think Defence is an amazing customer as you build your way through. I usually look at the life cycle of a company and where it is difficult with Defence is to get started, get some traction 
And so usually I say, let's trial the tech in somewhere easier and build our way through. So maybe we started to get approved on large sites, work with Defence then to work its way in. So that's worked quite well with some of the companies in Quantum TX. Otis have been fantastic. Basically, it's an organisation that helps companies understand defence and how to navigate. Again, that's probably something we should have for all governments is an Otis-type role. So I think defence is where a lot of companies want to be. It's hard to do, but it's very, very good as a long-term customer. It's reliable, it pays well, it's a good customer. You just have to build your way there. You can't expect to walk straight in the door. All right, I think I'm going to uh, finish up here. I want to ask you one final question. I can't believe it's nearly the end of 2023. So here we go for next year. What are your plans? What are you looking at for 2024? What do you want it to bring? So Quantum's continue to expand. Great supporting WA Queensland. We'd like to do more in Victoria, New South Wales. This company is asking for the program. We do a lot with uh, AROSE, Australian Road Operations for Space and Earth. So I chair the industry board for that. So again, connecting more companies into those projects. But also we are focusing a lot on, we have another parallel program, First Nations X, that is trying to help grow the startup ecosystem for Indigenous businesses and get more of them into this tech ecosystem. And then the third program we do a lot with is Quantum Girls. So along with Einstein First and UWA, we're rolling out a national program to get science clubs for girls into 200 schools. So building that skills pipeline, diversifying the industry and giving more people access to space, mining and defence. Sounds like a big year. A lot of ambition there. Thank you so much, Peter Rostocher, Quantum TX, for joining us on the Commercial Disco. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Commercial Disco podcast, proudly brought to you by CSIRO. Don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you heard us. For the latest on tech, innovation and public policy, visit innovationoz.com. And stay connected with us on social media to ask questions or suggest future guests. Until next time, this is the Commercial Disco wishing you an inspired week ahead.